those eight Sundays is when you're done preaching. And I tried to preach as hard with you here and without you here. But when you get done with preaching, we just turn the lights out here and go home. There's nobody to pray with. There's no one to encourage. There's no one to try to inspire and no one to pray for for healing and all those things. You just leave feeling so empty. You poured yourself out, and then there's nothing that comes back. So, uh, so I'm glad you're here. Thank you so very much for being here today. I have a message that I believe God has spoken to my heart. Um, there's an issue that I would like to address, and it is, to me, an issue. But I will remind you that we'll not have our uh, typical altar service. We welcome you to pray in your seats, and our ministry team is here today to assist as they feel and as you feel. I'm going to go ahead and have you sit down. My text is going to be a little bit lengthy, and I'm going to have you sit down. You're welcome. And... Um, not to keep you standing for a long time. But um, I believe God nudged me. Um, it's been a little over a week ago that of all the preaching and teaching we've heard all of our lives pertaining to faith and not being afraid, I would like to ask all of us here today, where did it go about two months ago? What happened to all of that teaching and preaching we've heard about having faith and not to be afraid? We quote the scripture all the time. God said, I've not given you the spirit of fear. And uh, there are still people today that are part of Grace Church that are afraid. They're, they're literally afraid of uh, what might happen to them if they contract this COVID thing. Now, uh, we have guests in the house today, and I'm going to try to be very aware of that, but I do have a, oftentimes a strange way of saying things. During this COVID-19 thing, I don't believe you should tempt God. My illustration of that is I'm not going to find someone with COVID and go kiss them on the mouth. But I decided to not shut down my life because of it. And I did absolutely as much as I could and as much as I felt like doing during this time. And uh, it was in me to continue on having church no matter what because it is a part of our uh, national constitution. But we were urged by uh, people that I'm accountable to that we need to honor uh, this pandemic and this state of emergency. But I do feel very strongly in my heart the state of emergency is about past and uh, we need to get back on with our lives. Somebody just pointed out to me Thank you very much for that. <clears throat> Somebody just pointed out to me that I don't see a single mask. So we don't have to worry about being robbed this morning. Uh, when I think of see people in the mask, I'm, they're going to rob somebody. I mean, that's a, it does fascinate me when I see people riding down the street in their car wearing a mask. It fascinates me. I guess they're scared of themselves. They're going to get COVID from themselves. I, I don't know. I'm not making fun, but and none of this is funny. But there's been a lot of things that have gone on during this time that have a lot of us questioning, a lot of us upset. But my concern here today is that people who I believe have a very legitimate relationship with God that are afraid. And I want to talk to you about that today. From Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, and it's going to be a little bit of a lengthy reading, but I wanted to read the whole story. 
so you will understand the context of my message today. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Let me explain this verse briefly. You'll remember they, the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. They wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. They, they, were in, they were, had Canaan in their view. They could see it on the other side of Jordan. And so Moses had uh, 12 spies sent out to spy out the land. And uh, they had come back with their report. Uh, hopefully all of you know that story. This is where this reading picks up. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And they were, and and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came, uh, which came of the giants. And we were in our, in our own sight. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers in their sight. Chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword? that our wives and our children should be prey, were it not better for us to return to Egypt. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear of the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord spake unto Moses, said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, 
then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people and thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by the daytime in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying... Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them. Therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. I now beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as to thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the ch- unto the children, unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, this iniquity of the people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me down these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers neither shall any of them that provoke me see it but my servant Caleb because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully him will I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed shall possess it Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, and has spoken in my ear, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell there, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Most of you here today will remember the very famous inaugural address by Franklin D. Roosevelt when he said as a nation of people the only thing we have to fear is fear itself the only thing we have to fear is fear itself I want to speak to you for a little while this morning and thank you for your patience in the long scripture reading But I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about the reality of fear. The reality of fear. Mrs. Amatera, Mrs. Amatera chased her husband through the crowds at the zoo. I want you to listen to this story. Waving her umbrella and unleashing insults like invisible missiles. Her perspiring and winded husband, seeing that the lock on the lion's cage had not been quite closed, yanked it open, 
jumped into the cage, slammed the door, pushed the astonished lion hard against the bars, and peered over its shoulder. His frustrated wife shook her umbrella, stuttered in anger, and finally managed to explode. Ralph, you come out of there right now, you coward. Think about that. This man is so terrified of his wife, he jumps into a cage with a lion. That is not only funny, but that is just ridiculously stupid. But you know what? I know some good Christian people, figuratively speaking, through this past couple of months has done the exact same thing. Done the exact same thing. Ralph, in this fictitious story, is like the people of Israel that I just read to you very lengthy about from the book of Numbers. They were confused about who or what they should really fear. They were confused about who or what they should really fear. They saw themselves as grasshoppers when compared to the giants in the land where God wanted them to go. They saw themselves as grasshoppers compared to the inhabitants of the land that God promised them. You're, I think, okay to question, why would God promise them a land filled up with people that were bigger and stronger than they were that would kill them? It's a legitimate question. But the point God wanted to prove is it didn't make any difference to him how big the people were in that land. It wasn't Israel's battle is the point God was wanting to make. According to most studies, believe it or not, people's number one fear is public speaking, doing what I'm doing right now. When Noah preached such an amazing sermon last Sunday, uh, he was a little bit nervous about coming up here and speaking before all the people. I said, Noah, don't worry about it because Papa does the same thing. Every time I walk out that door every Sunday morning, there's a little twinge that goes on. And they say that's a good thing because it keeps you focused when you're in the pulpit speaking to people. But the number two fear behind public speaking is death. Death is number two on the list of fear, things that people fear. Now, this means... As one man once commented, to the average person, if you have to go to a funeral, you're better off being the one in the casket, not the one giving the eulogy. So that's what comes out of this, right? So Numbers 13 and 14 that we read is of the people's rebellion. The account of Joshua and Caleb's report of their promised land that they knew they could possess it because God was on their side. It also contains God's anger at the people. It contains Moses' intercession. I just read all of that. It contains the Lord's judgment of the ten spies and the people that they convinced 
that they persuaded that even though God promised us that land, based on what I see, it's not good for us to take it. It also contains the people's abortive attempt to undo their error and even leaving Egypt. Their attempt to turn back the clock. I don't have time this morning to go through all of that, but I wanted to read it to you so you would understand the context of this message today. What we have here in chapter 13 is the first few scenes of this drama as it unfolds. And it is sufficient to make some important points about that great biblical lesson that can be drawn from this major event in the history of the Israelites. I want you to notice, it's a long paragraph that you're going to see on the screen, but you read it in your mind as I read it out loud this morning. Is it too much to say that this event in history we are reading about today is the principal biblical illustration of the sad fact fundamental to so much of the Bible's teaching that after all of the teaching and all of the preaching that most of us have heard for years that there are still many unbelievers in the church. I want to say today very carefully, and I'm not trying to be offensive, this is real. I'm preaching the reality of fear. I have come to learn that over the past couple of months, the media's voice in our ear has more influence in your ear than mine does. The media has more influence in our ear than the Bible. I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. I'm just showing you the reality of fear and how powerful it can be. In Numbers 13, we read about the 12 spies in Israel ten of whom were gripped with fear despite the promise of God. God spoke through Moses and other prophets prior to him and said, I'm going to lead a people to this spot and I am going to give it to them. So these ten spies were gripped with fear regardless of what God said, despite of what God said. They could not see past their own inadequacies, and so they rejected what God offered them. It's like every sentence of this message today, I want to embellish it for an hour, and I I don't have time. Not embellish it, but to illustrate it. They could not see past their own inadequacies, so they rejected what God offered them. But the other two, Joshua and Caleb on the other hand, saw the problems before them. They saw the problems before them. They were not ignorant nor blind of the giants in the land of Canaan. They saw those men. But the difference between them and the other ten was even though they saw the problems of possessing that land, they also had faith that God was directing their steps. That's the difference. That's the big, huge difference. So let me ask you today, Team B, that's live and present. By the way, I think 
when we did the team A and team B, we had them numbered just about equally. It was about five people difference. But there's a whole lot more of team B here today than there was team A last Sunday. So team B, you're the best. Team A, y'all need to do some work. That's right. So let me ask you today, what do you fear? I want to give you three things. I could go a long ways in this message today. There's a lot I could cover, but I have a very narrow focus today. What do you fear? First of all, we have fear of the adversary. Again, notice the screen and listen to this statement. Genuine faith is not marked by a lack of any struggle or failure. Genuine faith is not marked by a lack of any struggle or failure. The life of faith is often marked by intense struggle and frequent failure. But there is struggle precisely because faith knows and cares what it is and what it ought to be. Faith, faith never forgets that God has made a promise. Therefore, we see Joshua encouraging the Israelites not to lose hope. Don't lose hope in God's promise. But in addition to that, don't be afraid or fearful of the adversary that's in the land of Canaan. Now let me explain why this is important. The land of Canaan in the Bible is a type of people living with the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's people living a life that's been empowered by God. So it's a type of the Holy Ghost. It's a type of the kingdom of God on the inside of us. The wilderness through which the Israelites passed were a type of the difficulties and trials to be met with in this present world just through the process of life. Listen very carefully. I believe the miracles that the children of Israel saw in the wilderness, all the amazing things that God did was predicated more on the mercy of God toward them than the faith of the people in God. They didn't understand faith. Faith hadn't really been developed. We have people here today that knows people that live for God, that serve God, that have the infilling of the Holy Ghost, You see them in their church life and what have you. And they tell you periodically of a miracle that happened at church this past Sunday. A lot of you have heard a lot of the amazing miracles that's happened. Medically documented miracles that's happened here at Grace Church. The reason God did it that way is he allowed them to walk through the wilderness for those 40 years. He wanted to set a precedent. He wanted to establish a foundation. Hear me today. I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to everybody here today for that matter. God wanted to set a precedent that there is nothing that is too hard for God to do. So it could, should cause our faith to react. Faith does not develop based on a lack of struggle. Faith develops Because their struggle. So God would lead them to places of struggle. First and foremost, they didn't have any water. You can't live more than three or four days without water, I understand. 
And God led them to a place that had no water. Would somebody use your common sense here today and ask why did he do that? God had a plan. That place didn't catch God off guard. He knew there was a big stone there and that he knew he was going to tell Moses to smite that stone. And when he did, there'd be more water gush out of that thing than the children of Israel knew what to do with. They could have drowned in it if they wanted to. God knew that. Could go. This could go for hours. I'm trying to hurry. The promise of the kingdom of God is given to everyone. And somehow God has allowed this sin thing to happen. And I believe one of the greatest reasons for it is because sin does so many crazy and horrible things to people. It does. It brings you to horrible places in your life. Sin, it, it busts your family up. It, it, it can make your job real horrible and messy depending on how you do and the, the company you work for and, it can make school horrible and it makes people horrible. Yes, it does. That's biblical and we all know that. I don't think people who rob banks are just really upstanding Christian people. I don't believe people who molest their children and abuse their children are just good upstanding Christian people. I'm not being facetious. I'm being real. I've taught in Bible study for a number of years that I believe part of the reason God allowed the sin thing was so he could manifest to mankind who he really was. If there was no sin, there was no Calvary, there was no manifestation of love, there was no forgiveness, repentance could never be offered. If our bodies didn't get sick, you'd never know you could be healed. God took the sin factor and turned it to his advantage and said, the more you sin, the more you should realize how great I am as God. That was the point. So the promise of the kingdom is given to everyone. But how many are discouraged by the difficulties along the way that life throws to all of us? The slothful heart sees dangers, sees lions and giants everywhere, and then refuses to proceed on a holy path, on a godly path, on a religious path, if you would, if you don't mind, in some pursuit of a relationship with God because they don't believe, as horrible as sin is, that God is greater than that. And that somehow trying to develop some kind of a Christian relationship with God is a huge waste of time because in their mind they don't see God handling sin. He does handle it on a one-on-one basis not a global basis. So many of the spies contribute to this by the bad reports they bring pertaining to God's promise. I still don't know if y'all are on board with me yet or not. I hope you are. But here's God has been trumpeting for years, years, hundreds of years, that you're going to have a land. He promised it to our forefather Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're going to have a great land. Hallelujah. Woo, woo, woo. And when you get to the land of Canaan, everything's going to be warm and fuzzy and peachy, and everything's going to be amazing. And it's a land that flows with milk and honey. And, and you're going to have houses there that you didn't build and vineyards there that you didn't plant. And, yes, there's going to be giants there, but don't worry about it. See, y'all, y'all didn't catch that and see that, okay? We'll keep going. Ten out of twelve spies 
against the backdrop of that amazing promise that God had made. All they could see was the negative. What God said never resonated. It never punctured or penetrated the gray matter between their ear. Their faith wasn't challenged one iota. They didn't see God any different at that point than they did the moment they left Egypt. God had not gotten bigger. God had not gotten more powerful. When Moses smote the rock and the water gushed out, that didn't make a big impression on them other than just having water to drink. It, they didn't relate it to God. When he fed them manna and quail from heaven, that didn't impress them with God. They just enjoy eating what God provided. And that's where most of us live here today. They saw, the ten spies saw that God's promise was good, but it also was outweighed by the bad. Listen to pastor here today. For once, let me override Fox News for a few minutes. People say that the church has its good points. But the bad part of it is it's full of hypocrites. That's the first thing I hear. I ain't going to that church bunch of hypocrites. I'd rather go to church with a hypocrite than to go to hell with a hypocrite. It's full of hypocrites. The church does have a lot of hypocrisy. It is, after all, human. I've got hypocrisy in me, believe it or not. I'm not perfect. I think sometimes people believe that I can walk on water at will. I've never walked on water, period. Even though I've tried. Okay, God, you see that swimming pool right there? Let's see if this works. (laughs) It's never worked. But the church is full of hypocrites and it it requires too much discipline and it takes all the fun out of living and having to give money to it. And the list goes on and on and on. So people, rather than engaging the promise of God, would rather live with messy marriages, messy kid stuff, messy jobs, messy finances, messy habits that they can't quit, How many marriages have been destroyed by alcohol? How many marriages have been destroyed by just domestic incompatibility or whatever? There's people that attend Grace Church. They will tell you. If if God was not the primary influence in their life, they wouldn't be married. But God made the difference. But see, I'm going to look at all the bad stuff of the church, and even though where I'm living is ten times worse, the church still isn't good enough for my allegiance. God isn't good enough for me. Even though it's God that gives me the next beat of my heart and the next breath I breathe. I don't, I don't mean to be ugly here today, but I even know of preachers. I'm thinking of a preacher right now. I, we, we call him the little black rain cloud. He's just a, a walking thunderstorm everywhere he goes. He rains on everything. You could bring the man a million dollars and he'd weep and cry and find something wrong with it. I don't understand it. But even certain preachers allow that, yeah, the land is good and living for God is good. And, yeah, there's a lot of blessing, but I've heard preachers do that. There's even saints that do it. I've heard them do it. I've heard them. They've told me they did it. I told somebody they want to come visit our church. And, yeah, it's a good church. And we love the pastor. And we this and we that and this that. But, well, you just killed it. So here and there, 
a Joshua and a Caleb pops up. Here and there you have a Joshua and Caleb trusting alone in the power of God. They're armed with faith in the infinite efficacy or efficiency of the blood which cleanses from all unrighteousness. All of us, all of us should be able to boldly stand forth and say their defense is departed from them and the Lord is with us. Let us go up at once and possess the land because we are able to overcome. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He will purify us unto himself and give us that rest from sin here which his death has procured and his word has promised. It's as if Joshua is saying, can we not take God in his word? He has never failed us yet. Surely then we have no reason to doubt. We have never yet tried him to the uttermost. You know not how far and how fully he can save. Do not be dispirited. The sons of Anak shall fall before thee if thou meet them in the name of the Lord of hosts. Why aren't five or six people on your feet believing something here today? Hallelujah! Everybody clap your hands to the Lord for a moment. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Fear is aroused when we are confronted by anything that dwarfs us. It is only natural to fear when a tornado is hundred yards of wave. I've experienced that. Or we're swimming and realize sharks are encircling us. Man fears things that overwhelm us. Since that's the case, how much more should we fear God who is infinitely greater than anything and everything He's ever created? I've got to hurry. I only have seven minutes, but I've got about another hour of material. It's been pretty cool to hear a few people say, well, preach it, brother, preach it. But no, we'll, we'll go on. <laughs> Due to a great fear of the adversary that prevailed among the Israelites, they had a panic attack and became fearful not only of the adversary, but they became fearful of their leadership. They became fearful of one another. They could not understand God's modus operando to vanquish the enemy even though God and their leader, though their leadership tried to quell their fear with God speaking through them, they still couldn't make them understand the situation. We see, the, we see right at the end of all of this passage that God had to manifest himself and bring an end to all this nonsense. How many times have you heard the gifts of the Spirit in operation in this church in tongues and interpretation and prophecy? That we're going to be okay, God has us in his hands and all that stuff. Where did all of that go over the past two months? Did God forget? Or did not God realize this COVID thing was even coming? I'm preaching the reality of fear today. When things look grim in the physical sense and the enemy looks stronger and intimidating, it's natural to start 
distrusting leadership. In fact, Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua was only the four of them were in a difficult place with the Israelites. Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua did not rely. They did not rely on what was physically visible, but had complete trust in God who was invisible. But the people didn't. The people didn't. Therefore, the Israelites turned against the leadership and became a threat to, to them. The story unveils with God taking the Israelites to task. Later in the chapter, he wants to completely annihilate them. But Moses stands in the gap. I'm running out of time, media people. I'm going to skip down to the fear of the Almighty God. <clears throat> if we are afraid of anything, it should be God. You can take that however you want it. I would be far more terrified right now in violating the will of God than the will of our governor. I would be more nervous about violating the word of God than I would our law. Because God's going to judge me at the end. You can put your faith where you want. You can put your belief where you want. But bottom line, when you die, you're going to see God. I'm not going down that path, but I wanted to mention it in passing. The fear of everything else, the fear of everything else, other than God, was keeping the Israelites locked out of their promise. They were afraid of everything and everyone but God. Y'all need to hear me today. With the fearlessness of everything and the fear of God would unlock the gates of the promised land for them. Were they willing to trust and fear the Almighty alone? I want to be very human. I doubt very much that Joshua and Caleb didn't have moments of doubt when looking at the thick and high walls of the city of Canaan particularly the walls of Jericho. And when looking up to the men much taller and much more imposing than themselves, I'm sure their heart fluttered a little bit. They are human. But they dealt with themselves. And when push came to shove, they knew what faith should think. Listen, when push came to shove, they knew what faith should think and say, and should do, and they thought it, and they said it, and they did it. Did you grab all that? They got a hold of what faith is, and that's what they manifested. Even though there may have been twinges of doubt and fear, faith overrode all of that. They wouldn't invariably do that. They will stumble like everyone else, but they did it when it mattered most. When the issue was being joined and they did it regularly enough to demonstrate that their faith was the real thing. It was the genuine article. They had a Godward perspective and they acted on God's presence, on His power, and on His promise. True faith always does.
They knew who to fear, and they knew how to fear. They knew the fear of God was the key to procure wisdom and possessing their promised land. Caleb and Joshua continue to remind the people not to rebel against God, but fear Him and be fearless of the adversary because God was with them. If God was with them, then who could be against them? Most people would be against them, but would not prevail. And they did not have God's protection, which the Israelites possessed. Fearing God was not a negative notion, but it involved reverence and heeding and adherence to his word and obedience to his every command, knowing what power God has and what he is capable to do with the enemy and his people. This fear of God emerges with our love and adoration for him. A child may deeply love his parents, but in most cases, his willingness to obey them is rooted deeper in fear of them than it is loving them. I am a walking, living example of that. For example, mom and dad prepare to leave for the mall But Junior stays home. His parents restrict him to the yard until they return. So after they leave, Billy, the neighbor next door, spots Junior and says, Hey, Junior, come over and we'll play basketball. Junior says, I can't. My parents instructed me to stay home. Billy responds and says, Oh, come on. They'll never know. Imagine what Junior's response is here. He will stand upright. Stick out his chest and square his shoulders and says, No, because I love my parents so much, I'm not going to come over and play. If you have a kid that ever said that, I need to talk to you after church and see how you did that. (laughs) Junior's thinking in his head, Buddy, if I go over there and play with Billy and my mom and dad find out about it, I won't be able to sit down for a while. Or everything I own is going to be taken away from me. That's what Billy's thinking. If we could understand and appreciate that, it's not because their parents were being harsh. They were being protective. And this bubble that God puts people in that they hate so much. I don't like discipleship. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like for people to discipline me. I don't like to have to change my ways. When I want to be an idiot, I want to have the freedom to be an idiot. When I want to slap somebody or curse somebody out, by God, I'm a man. I want to be able to do that when I want to do it. You can do it that way if you want. But what you're doing is fearing the wrong thing. It ain't the people provoking you that you should be afraid of. It's the one who's going to judge you in the last days that you should be afraid of. Fear is the primary reason Christian people obey their Heavenly Father. That's why Solomon said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You're wise when you understand who you're messing with when it comes to God. He's not a bad person. No one can love you more. No one will fight for you more. 
No one cares about you more. But he is incredibly powerful. We all face a variety of fears. That may include public speaking or death. Your fears may involve concerns for your children, your job. Your fears may focus on what others think of you or what you think of yourself. Your fears may heighten when confronted by a superior or questioned by an underling. What is the problem with those fears? You may not be immobilized by them, so what harm do they present? It's not as though we can't function, so why worry about them? The problem with our fears is not the fear itself, but what they reveal about our perspective of God. If we're so afraid of people that we stop following the Lord, then we don't trust the Lord. He shows us that we have, it shows that we've doubted His plan, His power, and His promise. We have failed to recognize that He above all others is the one to be feared, which means that He is to be reverenced and trusted and loved and obeyed. So I pray sincerely this morning that God forgive us for fearing what we should not be afraid of and for not fearing and trusting you. Fear keeps us from repentance, but faith keeps us from fear. At the end of the day, the choice is all of yours. Fear God. If you'll fear the Lord, then you have nothing else to fear. There's people here today that are afraid to go to sleep at night. People here today that are afraid sometimes to even leave your own house. There's things in your past that terrify you sometimes. What if somebody finds out? What if somebody discovers really who I am and really what I've done? What if my husband or wife finds out? What if my kids find out about this habit? What if somebody finds out in times past where I've been violent and I've been less than human? We live in fear, whatever it is. Fear of the weather, fear of traffic, fear of disease, fear of death. It's amazing how we're so comfortable living at that level of life. We've adapted to it, but God scares us to death. When in reality, if you fear only God, then you don't have all these other things to fear anymore. It's the beauty of a relationship with God. If you'll stand with me this morning, one of the most fearful times I've had in my life, and I've had many. I believe it was in 1974, maybe 75, I don't remember. I think there were 12 tornadoes that swept through the Cincinnati, Ohio area, along with Xenia, Ohio, they were everywhere, it seemed like. My mother and I were visiting her sister and her husband, my aunt and uncle. And my uncle was listening to the radio, and the radio would tell you one has been spotted. These were tornadoes on the ground, not just up in the air. They were touching. They were blowing stuff. They, they destroyed Xenia. When, when the storm was over, 
there was nothing left of Xenia, Ohio. It, it ceased to exist as a city. It had to be completely rebuilt from the ground up. I was about 16 years old. My uncle was pastor there at the, at the church in Cincinnati. We were standing at a window in their kitchen dining room area. And we saw that dark black funnel cloud coming straight on. And my uncle said, that's about three miles away and it's moving fast. I watch with my own eyes. I watch this with my own eyes. We didn't run for the basement and take cover because he wasn't afraid of the tornado. I watched him raise his finger and point at that thing and say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I destroy you in the name of Jesus. And I watched, I watched. That tornado break in half, half of it went back up into the sky, the other half of it fell to the ground. It died right there. I watched it with my own eyes. You know why that happened? Because my uncle knew who to fear. He knew where his power was. He knew where the power was. And there's people here today that have tornadoes swarming your life all the time and you're terrified and you don't know what tomorrow holds. And I've talked to people this week that are worried about their money. Somebody told me just this week that they've lost thousands of dollars in their retirement due to all this COVID stuff and they're afraid, they're worried, and rightfully so. But, but there's another source you can put your faith in that no matter what happens with all of this stuff, you're going to be okay at the end of it all. I'm not pe- preaching a pipe dream here this morning. I've lived this all of my life. There's a lot of people here today that's lived this for years. They believe it. And after two months of not being in church, people rolled in this morning, and based based on your worship and attitude, from what I can see, you hadn't skipped a beat. Why? Because you know where to put your faith. So as they began to sing and play softly, I want to give somebody an opportunity here this morning to transfer your faith from temporal, earthy things, the bank, the job, the marriage, the relationships, whatever it may be, and take that faith and transfer it to God. It doesn't mean you have to totally quit believing in this, but you just believe in Him more. He becomes your source of sustenance. So as they begin to sing softly, Everybody, if you just bow your head, close your eyes. Ministry team, if you would help me this morning. I want to give somebody an opportunity to reach heavenward out of what appears to be your very hopeless situation. I know there's people here today that you just don't have a whole lot of hope for tomorrow. You don't know what it holds, but God does. So could you put your faith in Him, toward Him, in him let him work in you let him work through you faith is a real thing and it works when it's properly placed in its its right source which is god there's folks here today you've been tried life has thrown everything conceivable at you it's amazing you're still here it's amazing you're still functioning but god can take a lot of that burden from you and give you a peace that passes understanding. He can take away some heartbreak and heal that broken heart. He can can help with the frustration. He can help with anger. He can help with depression. He can help with anxiety. Yes, He can. 
Would you just try for a few moments and just scope in on God for a little while? Just take your scope of faith and say, Hey, God, I'm going to try what the preacher said. As they sing all over the house today, would you lift your hands heavenward? If you're comfortable to do so, would you lift your hands heavenward and say, Hey, God, I need some help right now. God, I need some help right now. God, I want to talk to you for a few minutes right now. I want to feel your hand in my hand. I want to feel your arms around me. I want to know that I have hope for tomorrow. I'm tired of going to bed at night afraid. I want to know, God, that you can help me. Come on, somebody. Reach and let the Lord help right now. Let the Lord help right now. Let the Lord minister right now. God is able. He's exceeding able, the Bible said. Hallelujah. Come on, Grace Church. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, God, I bless your name today. God, I bless your name today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Everybody praise him for a few moments. Everybody praise him for a few moments.